Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 984, air date October 14th, 2021. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Um, this is Dr. Shiva. Again, we had a pretty long um, day. Uh, we went from 12 to 4 p.m. on the Maricopa audit. We had myself, uh, Phil Evans, uh, we had various guests. We had 3,000 uh, uh, callers uh, on queue to call in. We had close to 4,000 people concurrent, which would have translated around 90,000 views on Facebook. But I noticed Facebook is only reporting 9,000 views. What an unfortunate bunch of you know what, okay? But anyway, what we're doing right now is we're going to be talking about another county in Arizona um, that uh, myself, uh, Phil, and with data from Mark Fincham, who's a state representative there, um, and we did this analysis. Uh, Pima County is very different. I hope Mark is able to join us. I wonder if we can get Mark on the phone here. Perhaps we can get Mark on the phone. Um, but so we're gonna, uh, we'll wait for people to join, but we're gonna be sharing with you the analysis that we did on Pima County. All right, and um, Pima County is obviously different than Maricopa County. Shiva, just hey, hey, Mark, I'm, I have you live. I don't know if you're, clicking in, but I can put you on phone if you want to say, okay. Uh, talk. All right. You so, do that. I just got into my car. So, okay. So we have Mark Fincham, everyone. We have people joining. We, we're both on YouTube as well as Facebook and uh, Twitch, uh, Mark. So Mark is a state rep. We did this video earlier, but it didn't come out that well. And I think it's going to be a lot better now because we're going live directly. So Mark, we're on live on YouTube and Facebook. I just shared with people, Mark, we did a four hour marathon. Uh, from 12 to 4, sharing Maricopa County, where we in invited the Maricopa County officials. Uh, President Trump actually put it out there too. So wow, yeah. So uh, so we teed it up for Pima now. So we had um, so with people joining us. So as I was saying, Pima, can Mike, uh, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, and then like where is Pima County related to Maricopa County? You know, physically where they're located, and then. Sure. Um, go ahead. And I haven't started the slides yet, Mark, but go ahead. If you can just share with people and then I'll, uh, then we'll talk about the data, et cetera. Go ahead, Mark. So we have yeah, Mark Fincham. Go ahead, Mark. So I'm a representative in Legislative District 11. I am the only uh, member of the legislature from Pima County who is a Republican. All other seats are held by Democrats. Uh, the Legislative District that I am in is LD 11 which just covers a very small portion of northern Pima County and most of Pinell County. Pima County is home to Tucson, the second most populated city in the state of Arizona. And about the time of the election, a little bit afterwards, there were rumors that in Pima County, there would be a significant number of fictitious voters inserted into the system. And then we received a an anonymous email that was directed to the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, obviously from a burner email. Uh, the gentleman went by the, or lady, went by the pseudonym of Brian Watson. And in doing so, started off an investigation uh, by my office over the last seven months uh, that included the uh, pulling of public records and records where there had been a requisition by the county recorder's office to a company known as Runbeck, which services many of the elections in the state of Arizona and across the country. 
particularly with mail-in ballots. We had requested the list of people who the county had ordered mail-in ballots for. One of the reasons for that is that I had received a report from one of my neighbors in Oral Valley, which is a community just to the north of Tucson, that he had actually received four ballots. He had not purchased a vehicle, so it couldn't be the fault of motor voter. He had not purchased a new property or even sold a property. So we can't, we can't tie it to a real estate record or a change in real estate records. To his knowledge, there was no particular reason why he would have received four ballots. Now, granted, it's an anecdotal story, but one of the things that we wanted to look for in the ballot requisition order that was sent to Runbeck is did this individual show up four times? Now, I have not seen the report, so I don't know if that's a yay or a nay, but it raised a larger question, and that is, of the ballots that were not returned, is it possible that they might have been returned by somebody else to feed this idea that there are fictitious voters in the system and they would have a paper ballot to go along with that? So I turned to Dr. Shiva's group and said, hey, I know you guys are the experts at this. You want to take a look at it. Um, the email that was sent to the Department of Justice by Brian Watson was also sent to every legislator in the Arizona House and Senate. That means every Democrat received it in the House. Every senator uh, received it over in the Senate. And because it's, I guess, my home district, or at least part of my home district, it appeared that if there was going to be any investigation in this, I would be the only one that would take it up. So now we arrive at the point where, as we look at the language in the email, there was a, a notation made that these fictitious voters would be smoothed across multiple precincts so that they could never be found. And even if one or two precincts were called into question, they could simply stand behind the excuse, oh, it must have been an error. Well, now we've got the work that Dr. Shiva and his team have done that reveal that it's more than just an error is a significant anomaly that is worthy of, at the very least, I believe a canvas of select precincts where it appears that um, we have an excessive amount of return uh, and quite possibly a forensic audit of Pima County. Now that's obviously going to take a, a significant amount of probable cause to convince either the House or the Senate to take that up, especially given what we've seen with Maricopa County. So with that, Dr. Shiva, I'll turn it over to you. And maybe you'd like to explain for the folks that are tuning in what you what you folks found. Yeah, so so Mark, thank you. So by the way, we've been working on this. I think it's been almost like four months, right, Mark, in the middle of the Arizona audit. We've, Something like that. Yeah, we did a, a version of this. Um, we've been looking at, so we've spent a lot of time making sure the analysis we give you here is accurate. We're not um, making any claims we can't substantiate, but, um, and Mark knows about, Mark's been very, very patient um, with waiting for this. So we appreciate that, Mark. So so today we're gonna walk through all the data uh, that we got from Mark, our analysis of it, but it shows a very interesting anomaly in Pima County. So I'm gonna walk you through it. I'm gonna bring up the presentation, Mark, that we went over earlier. So. Uh, so let me bring this up and I'm going to share with everyone the document that we have. Let me bring this up. 
Um, all right. So the title of this talk today that we see here is called Pima's Fishtail, and you'll understand what I, why we called it the Fishtail. And it's an analysis of the 2020 mail-in ballots in Pima County. And again, Not to be confused with pescatology. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but we are going to pose some questions and some conjectures and some future research. One of the things we want to make everyone aware is we are not laying blame to anyone, as we did in our four-hour marathon talk, was this is about taking an engineering systems approach. It's about all of us uniting to recognize that when you see the anomaly we're going to share, everyone should be concerned, and we should want to go dig further, and we should want to ask questions. And by the way, 52 USC 20701, which seems like a lot of the Democrat lawmakers in Washington have forgot what that law was. It's about encouraging audits, which was passed by Democrats 50 years ago by a Democrat majority, which basically says we want to conduct audits. You shouldn't be beating people up and calling them un-American if they want to do an audit. It is encouraged. And that's 52 USC 20701. I was really displeased with this guy, Ro Kunna, for grilling, um, you know, I think it was Ken Bennett, right, Mark? And saying, oh, you're, so. you're on American and this kind of stuff because you want a, a audit. But uh, and Dr. Shiva, I yeah. would add to that, that yeah. the platform of the Democrat Party for 2020 specifically says that in order to support voter confidence, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but the, the point of it was that robust, meaningful audits should be done. Right. Even they, before the election, laid that case out. Yeah, and the important thing is, Mark, this is the law. The law 50 years ago was passed to support audits, encourage audits. All of you listening out there, you should be happy that you find issues and anomalies and ask questions. That is called an engaged and enlightened electorate. Okay, so let's just jump into this. So I'm going right into the first slide, Mark. I know Mark's on the road. First of all, anyone who wants to go to vashiva.com, uh, everything we do here takes a systems approach, and we'll understand what that is. But go to bashiva.com, go to truthfreedomhealth.com. I'll play a video for you guys later on that. But let's go into this. The title is Mathematical Analysis of Mail-In Ballot Requests. And that was the data that um, Mark was able to get. He was able to get this very, very um, good data, which is really about the mail-in ballot requests, which means the, who by precinct by precinct, who uh, those people requested mail-in ballots. And then we have the return rates, okay, by those precincts. So just to be clear on this, what we mean by, by this is you request a mail-in ballot. And um, let's say in your neighborhood, including you, 10 people requested a mail-in ballot, but then five of the people returned it, right? So that would be a 50% return rate. So we have the by precinct, we got data that Mark provided of people who requested mail-in ballots in those precincts and what were the return rates, okay? So that's we're gonna, that's the analysis that was done. And the return rates give you an idea of people's engagement, right? So if one precinct returned a lot of their, let's say they had 100% return rate of their mail-in ballots, that means they're obviously potentially more engaged voters than someone who had only 20% return rate, okay? So that gives us an idea of engagement of voters. So um, we're gonna do an executive summary. We're gonna do a quick background. We're gonna look at what Pima County reported as their results. Then we're gonna do a comparative analysis. Then we're gonna do an analysis that we did of performance of each candidate, Trump and Biden, 
in that county versus the mail-in return rates. And you'll see that's a very nice analysis. And that's where you'll see this fishtail. And then we're going to go over some of the key findings and then questions and hypotheses that we have of those findings. And then we're going to conclude in future research. So the executive summary is this. First of all, a mathematical analysis of Pima County's mail-in ballot request and return rates were done. To give you an idea, 87%, over 87%, 87.4% of all ballots cast in Pima were, were by mail-in. If you notice, we when we looked in Maricopa, it was close to 92% was by mail-in. So if, I think we need to understand as citizens that uh, uh, more and more votes are occurring by mail. Now, Pima's votes, all the votes cast in Pima represent 15% of the votes cast in the state of Arizona. So that's giving you a high level view. Now, Pima's mail-in return rates, you're gonna find out are quite fascinating. The return rates, which means they sent out hundred ballots, mail-in ballots, and let's say the return rates were 50 people returned, that'd be a 50% return rate. We're gonna see shortly that Pima's return rates uh, are higher not only than the U.S. average mail-in return rates, but also all other counties put together in Arizona. And the key is here, the data in summary is 15% higher than all U.S. return rates and 19% higher than all other counties in Arizona. So the third point is we detected this anomaly we're going to share with you in Trump and Biden performance relative to mail-in return rates. What we noticed was that Trump and Biden's performance, whatever they were doing, the numbers you're gonna see were pretty much steady, but when you got to greater than 87% mail-in ballot return rates, suddenly you see this flip. Biden rates increase and Trump rates go down. Typically you will see some of the slope because of Republican Democrat, but the, the phenomenon here is quite drastic and quite impressive actually. So the next thing is we have some questions and hypotheses. And we think, and we've spoken to Mark about this, Mark's a big proponent of this. We think there's an opportunity to really validate the anomalies we're finding with canvassing in the high return rate precincts. And all of this will become clear. So quick background, as many of you know, who are joining us new, um, as uh, those of you who just joined, we just had another 300 people join concurrently. So um, Mark Fincham is a state rep in Pima County, the only Republican state rep. Uh, this is Dr. Shiva Idre. My background is in the field of pattern recognition, computational analysis for over 40 years. And you can see my background here, but fundamentally I'm a system scientist. I have a bunch of degrees from MIT, but I've spent most of my life looking at all different kinds of patterns um, in handwriting analysis, all different fields I'll walk you through. Um, so for example, in this field, uh, pattern analysis, you have the reality of some event that took place, for example, the election Pima County, and then you get data from that, like the mail-in ballot uh, return uh, uh, numbers uh, or the, the, the return rates. And we're trying to use that signal to reflect on what actually took place. So you have a signal, a model, and the reality. So for example, if some of you know, I've done this in the field of sleep data analysis, right? We get sleep signals and you're trying to figure out what's going on inside the baby or looking at speech signals and looking at what's the way deafblind people communicate or looking at radar signals from bridge decks deteriorating and you're trying to predict what's going on inside that bridge, okay? Without having to blow up the bridge. By the way, 50,000 bridges in the United States are falling apart. So it's very important to do this uh, kind of analysis. Uh, aircraft wings, we don't wanna open up a billion dollar aircraft wing. You can send an ultrasonic signature through, wave through and you get a signal 
And then based on that signal, again, you're trying to reflect on what the reality of that wing. Or for many years, I did bank checks analysis, looking at the handwriting signature on bank checks um, and uh, doing neural net analysis and trying to figure out what's actually written there. Or with email analysis, right? We used to be able to look at signals from an email and try to predict, initially did it for the White House when, when Bill Clinton was there, trying to figure out if this is the death threat or not. And I won one of the contests to do this. We grew this to our company, Echo Mail. And more recently with uh, the technology we have called Cytosolve, looking at signals and trying to understand how combinations of foods or supplements can affect particular biomolecular functions. So you have, again, the reality in the model, you can look at the heart, right? And you can figure out from the heart, here's a normal signal and here's a signal that's abnormal, all right? Again, this is background. So when we look at the reality model, here we're looking at the mail-in ballot system in Pima County, and we have the mail-in ballot return data that Mark Fincham got us. And we're looking at it to see if we can identify anomalous behavior. Now, before you can talk about anomalous behavior, you need to know what normal behavior is. So uh, Phil was, was not able to join us. Phil was here for four hours with us, but Phil uh, Evans and I did uh, research back in November of 2020, looking at uh, races, Republican races in, for example, in Michigan. And what we find is in fact, other, other previous races, you will find out that when something is normal, again, pattern analysis is not just for mathematicians. Typically mathematicians have a huge blind spot in pattern analysis because they just crunch numbers. They don't understand the need for domain uh, knowledge or you know um, subject matter expertise but what you'll see here is this is a this classic parabolic arc as you go from on the x-axis zero percent republican precincts to 100 percent republican precincts and then as you look on the y-axis performance where performance is a function of the per percent vote that in this case we're looking at jeff sessions elections from 2008 minus the Republican straight party vote, okay? So you'll typically get this curve when you do this kind of metric, okay? That's 2008 Jefferson County. You'll see the same curve in McCain um, in, the, in the presidential election of 2008. Again, you see this parabolic arc. Same here in, in the Trump election in Saginaw County in Michigan. This was where uh, our view is there was no uh, anomaly. This is a normal behavior. You see this parabolic arc. And the reason you see this is because again, you're going from low Republican districts, which means high Democrats, to middle of the curve would be Democrats, independent Republicans mix, and all the way to the right would be Republicans. So based on the math of this, you will get this kind of curve. And this curve really has three parts to it, a sloping line up, a horizontal line here, if you wanna break it up into three functions. So this is a normal state composed of F of X, G of X, and H of X, three functions. So you would always expect this parabolic arc. Now, if you just got a line, you'd say, hey, something's wrong, you know, line sloping up. If you just got a flat line, you'd say something's wrong, you get a sloping line down, okay? All right, so again, signal detection says parabolic arc, normal state, non-parabolic arc, these would be abnormal states, okay? So in Michigan County, for example, you can see, we see this straight line. This is what alerted us to something was off here. Same here, straight line over here, um, on election day and early voting. Macomb County, same thing, a pretty hard straight line. And in Count County, uh, uh, this sloping line. So this is why we alerted people and this started people um, wanting to explore Michigan because you see this anomaly, it's not normal. So again, 
normal state, par par parabolic arc, and a line. So I used to sort of jokingly say in Kent County and Macomb and Oakland County in Michigan, Mark, that a parabola went into the voting booth and out came, out came a line, okay? Um, so that's what we're seeing here. So now in Pima mail-in ballot reported results, Mark, I'm showing them the Pima results, okay? The reported results in Pima. And what you see here, the total, this is by, by the way, what was recorded in the uh, final uh, vote counts. Um, in Pima, the total mail-in ballots requested according to the Pima County was 525,645 in 2020. The duplicate analysis, they didn't report any duplicates. Again, it's unfortunate that they don't report duplicates. This is, in my view, a process error. And they didn't really report how many total unique mail-in ballots were requested because we don't know the duplicates. We do know that, so, you know, 525,645 were requested. And you notice, according to the county's report, 459,406 were actually received, okay? And the total unique ones that they reported were 454,633, because I guess these are the ones that they received and counted. So they must have removed some bad signature ones, et cetera, like we talked about in Maricopa. So 454,633 were the total unique mail-in ballot received and counted. All right. Now, in Pima mail-in ballot, um, the return rate data. So this is what we have, okay? This is what came from Mark's data. For Mark's data, we have, we have 516,099 was the total mail-in ballots requested. We actually found duplicates. 13,543. So the total mail-in ballots requested we have are 502,556. So comparative analysis, you can see here, we have a higher number. We have, um, Mark, are you still there? Maybe we lost Mark, but- I am, yeah. I just had myself on mute, so I Yeah, so no worries, you. but this is one of the questions Mark will obviously wanna ask the county, this discrepancy. But anyway, we're working off this 502,556 number, okay? So now before we go into all the details of this, we wanna put this in perspective. We wanna look at national and all county in Arizona to really give an understanding of what is the mail-in ballot return rates, okay? Like, you know, what, what do we consider quote unquote normal, okay? And the, and the only way to understand that is to look at some averages. So what you see here is a mail-in ballot return rates in 2008, for example, in the presidential election was 81.1%. That's nationally. In 2012, it was again, 81.8% nationally. Um, in 2016, it was 80%, went down a little bit. And when you look at 2020, it was 71%. Obviously you had more people requesting mail-in ballots, 92 million, but you can see the return rates went down to 71%. We're talking about the percentage, not the overall absolute number, okay? So that's nationally. Now, when we compare Pima County's mail-in ballot return rates over the last, let's say, since almost the last 20, uh, 25 years, we get some interesting understanding here. So, for example, in 2008, uh, Pima County's return rates were 10% higher than the national, 0% um, uh, in 2012. They're about the same, 3% higher than the national in 2016. But in 2020, Pima County's mail-in ballot return rates were 16% higher than the national return rates. So quite significantly different. Um, so again, you notice that difference, right? So national was 71.1, Pima was 86.7, to be specific 15.6% difference. 
Now, if we look at all of the other Arizona counties combined, we find out that the mail-in ballot return rates were 67.6% and Pima's was 86.7%. And Mark, I think you were pretty surprised yourself, right? When we calculated these numbers, because it was 19. I was, uh, surprised is not the word. I was stunned actually. Yeah. So I'm highlighting those and what you can see here. So Pima County's mail-in ballot return rates were 20%, close to 20%, higher than all of the other Arizona counties combined, which is a, so that's a pretty good average there. Um, uh, which And they were at 67% and 15% higher than the national averages. Okay. So that's an interesting phenomenal anomaly. Okay. Now, what we're next going to do, and I want to understand this, we, in pattern analysis, we typically build what we call a feature, a metric. Um, we had a very foolish mathematician when I did this in Michigan, a guy who calls himself the math guy in England who doesn't understand pattern analysis. And he says, oh, you can't subtract two percentages. Well, frankly, in pattern analysis, you create metrics, okay? You create features. So this unfortunate lad didn't understand the difference between a feature and math, okay? It's not simply uh, looking at percentages, okay? Uh, in face analysis, for example, uh, people used to spend all this time doing high-end pixel analysis. Well, you found out you could analyze people's faces by looking at certain distance measurements or certain percentages of, um, you know, the distance between the nose and the eyes. Anyway, in pattern analysis, we call these features, okay? And mathematicians need to sort of learn their chops on this, so they need to, um, frankly, get educated before they sort of uh, critique something they don't know what they're talking about. But fundamentally, um, in Pima, what we're looking at is the x-axis, we're looking at the percent mail-in return rate, okay? So we're gonna plot on the x-axis by the precincts what the mail-in return rates were, okay? But on the y-axis, we're gonna calculate a candidate's performance. And the candidate's performance is this feature, which is gonna be what percentage uh, did that candidate get relative to the party's mail-in ballot return rate, okay? So for example, if Joe Biden um, got, you know, 70% in a set of precincts, but, you know, the mail-in ballot return rate in those precincts among the Democrats was 74%, 70 minus 74, he'd get a minus four. So that's basically saying he was underperforming um, relative to his party participation. So it's a very interesting measure to see how you're performing relative to your party's, um, your, your party's participation. So let's get to, this is where it gets interesting now. So Mark, I'm starting to show the signal now, Mark, on the graph. So thank you very much. What you see here is on the x-axis, we have precincts, some of them which had 70% uh, mail-in ballot rates all the way. Interesting, not some, some had 100%, we'll talk about this. But first we see this line here. So this line right here, the red dot denotes the performance rate, at, and this looks like it's about 73%. So these are precincts that had 73% mail-in return rates. Uh, it's called, um, and, and then we hear, we see Trump, um, well, his performance 3% higher relative to the Republican share of mail-in ballots. So he's doing higher than Biden, and Biden's actually minus 3%, okay? So, and that's B Biden is doing 3% lower. So as we go across, now we go to the next set of precincts, which are at 75% return rates. And again, you can see Trump is 3% higher. Biden's actually goes down a little bit. He's a little bit less than 3%, close to negative 4%. And again, you can see they're about the same when we get to the precincts that are 77%. Again, uh, we can see when we get to precincts that are 80% mail-in return rates, 
uh, they're converging a little bit. And then at around 83%, you know, they diverge a little bit, but you know, you can see they're between that, you know, three in that 3% vicinity. Okay. Um, and then when we get to 85 precincts with 85% return rates, they converge a little bit. And this is what the interesting point is. Remember, Pima County's mail-in ballot return rates um, is 86.7%, okay? That's what their uh, mail-in ballot return rates is across Pima. So when we hit that, what I call that sort of interesting wall, we start seeing Trump's performance come down and Biden's performance go up. And in fact, at 90%, so these are precincts which have a 90% return rate, you see them near the same, which means they're both, there's no difference. And this is what gets interesting. At around 92%, we're going at 93%, you start seeing Biden starts overtaking Trump in these precincts which have greater than 90% mail-in return rates. And they start growing, in fact. And they start growing and growing. As you go up to 95%, you start seeing between around 93%, you start seeing this very interesting slope it almost looks like for every 1% increase in mail-in ballot return rates, Trump is losing 1% and Biden is gaining 1%. That's the slope of that line. And, and this is what I call this fishtail. In fact, as you go to one, uh, we're getting close to 99%, um, it, it becomes so. So this is why uh, I call this the Pima fishtail, okay? And in fact, there were precincts we'll find, we'll talk about that are close to 100%, in fact, 100% return rates, all right? And so this is why I call it this fishtail. The sure likes to look at fishtail, okay? So this is a Pima fishtail. Now, what we then did was we wanted to understand the phenomenon and we looked at the mail-in ballot return rates by precinct, okay? So that's what these bar graphs are. So what you see is these are the number of precincts with these particular mail-in return rates. So for example, there are five precincts with 69% mail-in return rates over here there are close to 20 precincts with 95% return rate. There are in fact 20 precincts right here, this red bar with 98% return rate. And they're interesting enough, there's a precinct which has got 100% return rate, okay? So you see this graph and um, you know if you were to do sort of the mode and the median analysis, you find out that the average is this red line here where, where Pima counties, but the average in this histogram has actually shifted over here, which is quite interesting. So if I overlay the fishtail with the, the histogram, you see right here at 86 point, more than 86.6%. And as we proceed to the right, when you get to the precincts that are about 95%, going all the way to 98%, you see that beautiful 1% slope going up for Biden 1%, meaning for every 1% increase in mail-in ballot return rates, Trump is gaining, um, Biden's gaining 1% and Trump is losing 1%. But the phenomenon is it started really occurring at the high mail-in return rate precincts. When we've done these kind of graphs with high Republican, you would expect to see this kind of little bit of dip, but there should, there's frankly should be no correlation between, between this and the correlation between return rates and this, okay? So, in summary, what we have is to give you the sort of the sizing of this, you know, Trump lost in Arizona by 10,457 votes. Okay. That's the difference. Pima County, Trump lost by 97,223 votes. Okay. 
So if you just take even, you know, uh, 1% of Pima County, which would be 5,127 voters, and those were flipped, that would be the margin of error, right? So, right, because if 5,000 plus voters went to Biden, that means you're removing from Trump, you would create the 10,000 margin. But that, again, would be, you know, uh, about, you know, uh, uh, you know, about 1% there, right? Actually, it's, I'm sorry, this is actually about 5%. Let me correct myself. That's about, I'm sorry, it's 1% of all of Pima. That, that is right. It's 1% of all of Pima's votes, okay? But it'd be about 5% of the votes Trump lost by. Okay, yeah, because it's 1% of 512,739. Okay, so that is correct. All right. So again, we have this fishtail phenomenon. And here are the key findings. The key findings are at precincts below average return rate, that 86.7%, Trump's performance was steady at 3% 3 plus, and Biden's performance was steady at 3% minus. As precincts with return rates went above average, what did you see? Trump's performance begins to decrease, and Biden's performance begins to increase. And then at precincts with return, return rates between 92 to 97%, what do we see? Trump, Trump decreases 1% with each 1% increase in return rate, and Biden increases 1% with each 1% increase in return rate, okay? So that's what we see here. That's quite fascinating, okay? So those are the summary of the observations. Everything is flat, but the fishtail occurs right during these return rate precincts where they're between this 92 to 97, actually after 86%, but you get this 1% slope on these 92 to 97%. Again, that's what we're talking about right here. So everything is steady here and then the fishtail occurs right around here. All right, now to give you an analysis, if you look at those precincts above that 92% return rate to the 100%, that's 264,000 votes, that would account, just to give you an idea, if 2% of these votes were flipped, right, which is that margin of 500, 5,000, that would create the 10,000 vote margin. So if you wanted to flip an election, it could just be done with 2% of the votes in these high turnout precincts. All right. So here's our questions and hypotheses. First question um, to everyone is, why did Trump and Biden's performance stay steady across precincts with return rates from 69 to 85%? That's at plus 3%, minus 3%, okay? Why the sudden decrease in votes for Trump in precincts with higher mail-in ballot return rates? And why is there a linear decrease and increase by 1% in Trump and Biden's votes, respectively, as precincts return rates um, each increased by 1% starting with precincts with the 92% return rates. And why are there true precincts with 100% plus mail-in return rates? And why are there 40 precincts with 97 plus mail-in return rates? That's quite a number of precincts, okay? So here's our hypothesis. And, and our hypothesis are more answered as questions, or is did in precincts that have higher mail-in ballot return rates above 86.7%, Trump voters start flipping to Biden? Is that what started happening? Um, did Republicans in those higher mail-in ballot rate precincts vote for Biden? That could have happened, right? Um, we don't understand why, but maybe in high ballot, uh, high mail-in uh, return rate precincts, for some reason, uh, Republicans started flipping. Or did independents in those higher mail-in ballot rate precincts vote for Biden? The other question, if you wanna take a a more of a uh, what someone may call call a real hypothesis or something where 
perhaps people say we're being conspiratorial, would be where mail-in ballots for Biden injected into precincts with the higher mail-in ballot rate precincts. Okay, 92%. So here are various, you know, extremes of hypotheses. Again, in science, you put forward a hypothesis, then you go do the experiment. Well, what would be the experiment here? Well, the experiment would be, uh, you would have to go do a different kind of methodology because we're just hypothesizing here. This is how science works, right? You see some phenomenon and then you hypothesize because you want to do more research. So again, the conclusion and future research are we're seeing an inverse relationship on the performance of Trump and Biden. And we think further research and, uh, and information are necessary to elicit greater understanding, right? What would that kind of research be? Well, we need new research methods. One starting point may be to survey, canvas individuals who voted in those precincts with the higher mail-in ballot rates, which are the 92% plus to validate mail-in ballot votes. So that's about 264,000 people. Obviously, you're not gonna survey all of them. If you use standard statistical analysis, sampling analysis, if you could survey 2,500 people, that would give you a margin of error of plus or minus 2% at a 95% confidence rate, okay? So that's one way you could do it. And if you found, you know, 75 or more of those people are found to be invalid, that would be a significant finding, okay? Now, or if people didn't want to do 2,500, you could, we could just target those precincts, those 40 precincts that were 98% plus. And on those precincts, we would go do an analysis. All right. So anyway, I'm going to, people want to go uh, look at the background here. But what we just have shared with you is a mathematical analysis, the mail-in ballot vote requests and mail-in ballot return rates in Pima County. And one of our recommendations, we may want to do door-to-door canvassing in those um, 98% plus precincts. There you go. That's why we call this Pima's fishtail. I hope everyone um, uh, got it. And Mark, do you have any other thoughts? I can look at some of the questions that I'm seeing online. We have close to a thousand people, Mark, concurrently. Well, yeah. The only thing I would offer up, um, you've just done a great job of explaining something that so many people are scratching their heads about. And there are two points that I would like to make. There are many people who believe that uh, the election establishing the Regional Transit Authority some number of years ago was not exactly what it appeared to be. Now, obviously, we can't go back and relitigate that. But now the question is, how reliable is an anonymous report? And for anyone who would like to see the text of that email, I would be happy to send it to them. All they need to do is visit votefincham.com. That's V-O-T-E-F-I-N-C-H-E-M.com. And click on contact, give me your name, your email address, and a comment that you'd like to see the report um, from Pima County, and I'd be happy to send you all of that verbiage so you can see it for yourself. Yeah, Mark, That's what you're saying, so people go to votefincham.com. So Mark, this entire analysis was motivated by a report that came from an insider who said that he had seen some anomalies. And those of you who are joining us new, we've, I think we've doubled the number of viewers since you well, first not joined. That, not that he had seen anomalies, Yeah, but he was reporting what Democrat Party officials were saying in a closed meeting. And the flavor of the email was that they were bragging about it, bragging about what they had done to the system. Got it. And that tells me that you have an individual 
whose moral compass um, tells him that it's more important to protect the nation than it is to protect the party. And for that, whoever Brian Watson is, I applaud him for having the courage to send that out. Yeah, Mark, it's interesting. Earlier today, we had Tim Canova. You may know that race in Florida, where Tim Canova is a Democrat running against Debbie Wasserman Schultz and how they stole that election. We also talked about my own race, Massachusetts, where the Republicans, the Massachusetts GOP swamp, colluded with the Democrats against our race. So I think the point here is this is not about Republicans or Democrats. This is about the fact that we have squishy election voting systems where there's enough things there that can be played with. And what, again, what we did here this evening was, uh, thanks to Mark, we were able to get access to this data and we were able to do a analysis, a scientific mathematical analysis to point out this fishtail. And now following the scientific method, remember the scientific method is a process that you go through, you find something, you come up with a new hypothesis, you do more experiments, you come up with a new hypothesis. This is called science. And we wanna bring this kind of engineering systems approach to this world so we can essentially ask questions. We can put people, make people accountable. And we can also get citizens also more accountable themselves because this is really up to you. The reason we're here is because if we sleep on guard, people are gonna do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of like you don't get a dog and let him run through the neighborhood uh, unsupervised. And I've, I've, you reminded me of a conversation that I've had with a couple of Bernie supporters and they just they keep scratching their heads and they believe that bernie was robbed and my response to that is well i suppose then you would be making the exact same allegation that maybe the election wasn't really an election is it possible that it could have more been more of a selection that was supervised by somebody so that's a question to ask. I'm not making an accusation. Uh, of course, there are some Democrats who are perfectly happy with the outcome um, that would ask the question as well. So is it possible that Bernie Sanders would have been the legitimate Democrat in the race? And I think that that's an open question. And when we see evidence like what you and your team have been able to pull together, it's one of those questions that perhaps it won't be answered in the immediate future. But I think the more we dig and the more we supervise elections, because remember, elections belong to the people. They don't belong to the, bureaucrat the bureaucracy. They don't belong to a governor or a legislature. They truly do belong. To yep. Mark, thank you very much. Um, so I'm going to just wrap up with some uh, messaging and some of this stuff that we want to talk about. And uh, thank you, Mark. So. I think uh, that was Mark Fincham, a state rep in Pima County. So what I want to finish up with is we have about uh, close to uh, 800 people here uh, concurrently. By the way, Facebook is doing some wonderful throttling. We had close to 4,000 people. And typically when you have 4,000 people concurrently, you have about 90,000 views. They're showing we only have nine, nine views, okay, or 9,000 views, right? Quite interesting. But um, what I want to finish up with is I want to play you two videos, one video is to let everyone know the way we are going to win is not through politicians, not through uh, celebrities, not through lawsuits, frankly, not through elections. It's really gonna happen with every one of you 
learning that we all need to take a systems approach to building a movement. And it goes beyond left or right. So I'm gonna play you two videos. So this first video will give you sort of the positioning on how we look at the world uh, at our movement, Truth, Freedom and Health. So let me play this for you. We have allowed our country to be taken over from within. And the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you, deep down inside them, that you don't deserve the freedoms you have. They don't. Okay. This reality is what people need to wake up to. And we need to all unite working people. There's only one movement that can do that. Mm -hmm. And that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left wing, right wing. There is a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom and health leaders. We don't need followers like social media, we need leaders, but they, they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours, that's what I've started doing. That's the solution. Wow. We gotta train people. First with understanding what a system is. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, right? Talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas, hypothesis into truth, which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up, working people, people who work uniting. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people, Dave, to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, forget celebrities, you got to learn politics. And there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is a not so obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is a not so obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you on the left and the right. The Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you. The Tucker Carlson's. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment. Without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're gonna follow on the, the left wing, Bernie Sanders, oh, he said something, or Robert Kennedy, scumbags. Or you're gonna follow you know, some right wing talk show host. They're not gonna lead us to liberation, it's us. And that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done. And it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up. His own quote unquote people. 
And that's where we're at. So these four concepts I've built into a curriculum. People can go to bashiva.com and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics. And I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people two years of MIT control systems. I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it. Anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I got to build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically astute and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, be, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. And the Senate campaigns expanded to the movement for truth, freedom and health, and they can find it on V as in Victor A. Shiva, vashiva.com. So people can sign in, they can get access to a bunch of videos. If they want to take a course and become a truth, freedom and health leader, I offer a full scholarship there. But we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to VA Shiva, Victory America Shiva, VAShiva.com. So I wanted to play that for you because hopefully that'll inspire you to understand that when you look at the hit arc of um, world history, not only U.S. history, you'll see it's when working people rise up. And where we're at right now is over the last 50 years, which we talk about in our training. Every Monday evenings, I run a training. We've taken sort of 50 years worth of knowledge and, and we want to educate people on a systems approach. We've made it extremely accessible to everyone. You can. Uh, we have 60,000 people, 70,000 people all over the world who've signed up. We're putting together a leadership program, but it's all everyday working people. Um, we saw what the Southwest Airlines workers did, right? We saw the workers, what's going on in Australia. They defied their own union, which wanted them to get jabbed. But the reality is we need to build a bottoms up movement, but there is a physics to building that movement. We need infrastructure. Fortunately, with all of your guys' support and the fact that I've donated infrastructure to this, we have the course, we, uh, we have technology, and then we also have activism. So I want all of you to take time to become part of this. It's really for you. And every uh, Monday evenings, I teach a course. Uh, this Monday, we didn't because it was Columbus Day. But um, And then every Thursday evenings at 7 p.m., we actually have our Truth, Freedom, Health Warriors come together. We hold an open house. Um, but I'm going to play you a final video and we'll wrap up. But I wish everyone well. But this video will share with you the wonderful... Um, infrastructure that we put together to really uh, build this movement. So we're not sitting here and we have no intention of sitting here. We want to actually take action to uh, to win truth, freedom and health. So let me play this for you. And this will give you a deeper understanding. Of Hello, this is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. Welcome to VA Shiva, the platform of education, technology, and activism, so you may raise your consciousness to win the truth, freedom, and health you need to create the future you deserve. The VA Shiva platform provides its truth, freedom, health warrior scholars the following three capabilities. Number one, an ultimate education that is based on the science of systems. Number two, technologies to empower you to take charge of your health, as well as social media tools, independent of big tech, so you can connect with other incredible truth, freedom, health warrior scholars equally 
equally dedicated like you to winning truth, freedom, and health. Three, instruments for activism, so you become a beacon of light in your online and offline community to educate others, growth, and advancement. VA Shiva provides you the foundations of the science of systems, the ultimate education. The science of systems provides you the missing fundamental scientific knowledge to understand every system in and around you. The science of systems will enable you to uncover the real problem and real solution in any situation and on any issue. Concerning the educational component, first you will receive direct access to me to learn the science of systems in my three-hour live private online group class that I run every week. Second, you will have access to archived lectures so you can continue your education independent of me. Third, you can test your proficiency in learning the fundamental principles and get a formal certification for the foundations of systems. Independent of this classroom education, you will receive also four important books. The first book is the best-selling classic Systems and Revolution from which you can learn all of these concepts and more. The second book is The Science of Everything that will educate you on how the science of systems is the foundational knowledge of every system in the universe. The third book, Your Body, Your System, focuses on how to understand the interplay of these systems within your own body. And then the fourth book, Your System, Your Life, will help you apply these principles to other aspects of your life, such as running a business, understanding relationships, and more. Beyond the curriculum and books, the second capability is the technologies that you will be afforded. One of them is a powerful Your Body, Your System software, which is an online laboratory where you can use your body as a system to further deepen your understanding of the science of systems. The tool allows you to understand what kind of system you are. Is your system on course or is it off course? And how the inputs of food, supplements, herbs, activities such as sleep, yoga, meditation, exercise can affect your body to bring it back on course. Finally, to support your education, I've also included a seminal scientific paper that I wrote which will help you understand that the knowledge of systems it does not only originate in the modern world starting in the 1920s and 30s, but it actually dates back 10 to 20,000 years and intersects directly with the foundations of Eastern systems of medicine. In addition to this, you will also get two scientific papers sharing how the science of systems can also be used to apply to understanding how food is medicine. One paper exposes turmeric from the molecular systems level and how it affects your body. The other paper explores ginger and how that affects your body. That's just the educational piece. As you raise your consciousness through this education, you will likely want to connect with other Truth Freedom Health Warrior Scholars in an environment where you can connect and build community. To support that, I've also created two powerful social media tools. One of them is a VA Shiva forum. Here you can start discussions, you can pose questions and meet others and have healthy debates. The other is VA Shiva Social, where you can create your own profile, your own presence, like other major social media tools. However, it is independent of big tech. You can use VA Shiva Social to interconnect with your fellow Truth Freedom Health Warrior Scholars and build community. Beyond the education capability and the social media capability, the platform also enables you to take action by disseminating your knowledge on the ground and into your local online and offline communities. Powerful educational cards and research are included so you can pass these cards to your friends and neighbors that provide them summarized content which further directs them to online research and education. In addition to this, the activism component also provides you many, many short one-minute educational video content, memes and text, allowing you to quickly craft messages for your Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and other pages so you can deliver content to educate others and drive them to longer educational posts on VA Shiva. VA Shiva is fundamentally an enabling platform for you to get the truth, freedom, and health you deserve through education, technology, and activism. I hope you become a truth, freedom, and health warrior scholar today. Thank you.
Thank you, everyone. Be well.